Sometimes being a part of God's family doesn't look like such a good deal. What does God have to say when his children are kidnapped, persecuted, and murdered? With our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, let's see how God answered these questions for Daniel as his prophet predicted the worst time of tribulation for his people. When I was a kid, the missionaries were like the ultimate expression of what a godly committed person was. But you know, even missionaries need breaks from time and time. Martin and Gracie, it was their 18th wedding anniversary. They were missionaries in one of the hardest parts of the southern Philippines. It's an area where the Islamic invasions from the late Middle Ages were able to invade uh, up into the Philippines. Then they were blocked by the Roman Catholics. There's a big break, and that break continues to this day so that the jungles of the southern Philippines were filled with guerrillas called the Abu Sayyab, and they were seeking to infiltrate with terrorism. Martin and Gracie weren't thinking at all about that. They were at a beautiful resort, and they were having an incredible time taking a break in a place that looks kind of like Hawaii, beautiful Pacific Ocean, when suddenly, on May 27, 2001, early in the morning, their resort center was invaded by Islamic terrorists. And Gracie and her husband Martin, along with several others, were taken captive, more than 20 others. There was a nurse that was named uh, Edinburgh Yap. She uh, was taken captive with them, and um, they were herded off into the jungles. The rest of the prisoners, the kid, those that were kidnapped, were released very, you know, in a few months. By November, almost all of those that had been kidnapped were set free, but not Martin and Gracie. And Edinburgh, the nurse, was still with them, and they were herded through the jungles. A lot of you remember this story. Here's a couple. Gracie's from Kansas, and so she's just up the road from us. They were a dedicated couple. You can imagine what their Bible church family up in Kansas was feeling during more than a year, a little bit more than a year, that Gracie and Martin were held captive. And then the boredom would be relieved periodically when the Philippine army would corner the Abu Sayyaf. They would have gun battles with them and it was infuriating because sometimes the Philippine army would just let the Abu Sayyaf, because of bribes, get right through their perimeter. And Martin and Gracie are experiencing the agony of knowing that the, even the army that's trying to deliver them is infiltrated by the Islamic terrorists, all that stuff that takes place kind of in a tribal religious warfare. And they're going through this agony. Finally, after more than a year, the Philippine army cornered Abu Sayyaf again, and they attacked him. And in the gunfire, Gracie got wounded in the leg, and her husband Martin was killed, and Edinburgh, the nurse, was killed as well. And so Gracie was taken to Manila. The FBI that was very much involved in this case interviewed her and debriefed her, and then they flew her back to Kansas. And when she got back to Kansas, she was grieving with her son, Jeff. Jeff was only 15, Mindy was 12, and Zach was 11. 
A lot of us followed this story, and I want to remind you of it this morning because Gracie's experience brings out in probably the most awful way the question, what in the world is going on? Where is God when his people are being persecuted and maligned and scorned and even martyred? You can imagine when Gracie comes back and has to talk to her three kids, you know, what happened to daddy? Those are really serious questions, and that's kind of the extreme thing. In other words, when God's people are under tremendous tribulation, they're under tremendous persecution, when Jesus doesn't seem to have brought us a happy, meaningful life, instead our life is cut off, what's going on then? Another question that's raised by this story is, where is the justice? In other words, here's Martin and Gracie. They're held captive. There's all this lying and back and forth bribery and all that kind of a thing. There was total injustice in this situation. And the story raised all kind of debate, even among mission organizations. Should you pay kidnappers off and in order to set your missionaries free, or does that lead to others? And a lot of you that are in the mission world know about those debates, but the issue you're raising is, what about this question of justice? Men, it looks like the bad guys have won, doesn't it? You wrestle with those same questions. I want to use Martin and Gracie Burnham and their kids' extreme persecution to challenge you about your own struggle when things aren't working out. I guarantee you that as I look around this room that there's a whole lot of you that are going through really tough times. And as you look at your life, it hasn't worked out the way that you think it should have worked out. Anybody identify with that? Have any of you ever felt like this just isn't fair? This just isn't just? And if God is supposed to be good and I'm supposed to be one of his kids, why am I suffering? Some of us are like my Jewish friends used to say. It's like in the fill of the roof when, you know, the old father says, you know, we're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be God's children. He throws up his hand in exasperation and says, why don't you choose someone else? Anybody ever feel that way? He's saying, we don't like this business, going through the Russian pogroms and all the persecutions, saying, this business of being God's chosen people, let someone else be chosen. Maybe you feel like that this morning. As you turn to Daniel chapter 12, we want to wrestle with those questions. What about it when God's family, when God's kids are going through horrible persecutions? What about a Martin and Gracie that that gave their lives to the Lord Jesus and went to the mission field and were seeking to bring the good news to even Islamic terrorists? Why doesn't God come through for them, and how should we respond to those questions of justice? Daniel is answering those questions for his own people. As we've gone through Daniel chapter 11, Daniel has taken us from an Old Testament antichrist that put God's chosen people in the Old Testament in one of the most difficult, persecuting times when Antiochus Epiphanes took their temple, put up Greek God in the place of the Ark of the Covenant and the living presence of the Holy God, tried to get all of the Israelites to turn away from the law of Moses, and thousands upon thousands of Jews that were faithful to God were martyred during that time period. That's what we're studying in Daniel chapter 11. Then Daniel predicts a future Antichrist 
who's going to come not out of the Greek empire, but out of the final manifestation of the Roman empire and also a kingdom that combines all the agony and all the tyranny of Babylon, of Medo-Persia, of Greece and Rome. Daniel and Daniel 2, when he gave Nebuchadnezzar's dream, showed us that there's going to be this entire conglomeration of all the imperialism and all the pride and all the violence and all the hunger for materialistic advantage and all the desire to rule the world anti-God is going to come to fruition and it's going to be personified in a man named Antichrist. And Daniel tells us about his career. He tells us of what I taught you the last time we were together is I gave you his characteristics and I gave you some of the campaigns that he made and we left him in the Holy Land planning his world kingdom right between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, right in the heart of God's Holy Land. And in the middle of the tribulation, according to the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, this Antichrist that, that at first seemed to be a friend of God's people, and he would seem to be the one that would deliver God's people, suddenly he turns into this incredible imposter and a deceitful liar, and he starts to put terrible persecution, like Hitler did, against the Jewish people. And that's where we pick up the story. For three and a half years, this terrible suffering, just like Martin and Gracie were going through in our own day. Now, the truth, I want all of you to know, to be honest with you, in evangelicalism, there's a lot of different approaches. Some of you, like if you go to a Reformed Presbyterian church, they're going to tell you that there's not a literal fulfillment of this. They're going to tell you that there's not going to be, that, that Antichrist is a spirit. And I've taught you that he is a spirit. I also believe that there's going to come a living person that's going to fulfill this in the body in the end. But I want you to know, and some of you are pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib, even in our church family. What I want you to do is, is, is in my own life, I've often been involved in groups that get caught up in, is Christ going to come at the beginning of the tribulation? Is he going to come in the middle? Is he going to come at the end? And sometimes in the middle of that debate, we miss the point. The point that I want you to get, it doesn't make, you could be someone that doesn't believe that there's going to be a literal seven-year tribulation period that culminates in a great tribulation at the end of time, just before Jesus comes. You can believe that, that there's just going to be general persecution. You need to still hang in there with me this morning. Because what I'm going to talk about this morning is not dependent just upon my belief that there's a final Antichrist that's coming. And you in your own life as a believer need to listen because you're going to face, face tribulation. If you're a post-trib, then you believe you're going to face the great tribulation. Then you need to really listen to me. But I want all of you to understand that we want to look what we can learn from. Here's the ultimate time where it looks like injustice is winning. Here's the ultimate time where it looks like it's a bad deal to be one of God's people. And Daniel starts out by talking about a great tribulation when it looks like the forces of darkness are winning. Let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, at that time, that time, as you look back at verse 45 of chapter 11, he, the Antichrist, will pitch his tents between the seas. That's what I was just talking to you about. At the beautiful holy mountain, which is where the temple is in Jerusalem. It's Mount Moriah. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. That's the promise. 
As you sit here this morning as a believer and you're facing persecution, you're facing hard times, physical, emotional, losing your job, losing your health, facing persecution from your friends, whatever it might be, the Lord is saying yet it will come to its end and no one will help him. One of the big decisions that we need to make in our life is which side are we going to commit ourselves to? And I'm committing myself to the one that can declare that the ultimate expression of evil is going to come to his end and no one's going to be able to deliver him. Amen? So you need to decide, will I believe this? Will I be committed to this? Now Daniel picks up on that in chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, at the time when the Antichrist is persecuting God's people, at the time where it looks like no one can oppose him, It says that Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Remember we learned in chapter 10 that Michael was one of the archangels that was fighting for the Lord's Jewish people, the covenant people of of Abraham, Daniel's people. And as the empires began to convulse, and it was like a big fracture line, and the Medo-Persians came in, and they took over the world empire. And God had made a promise that his Jewish people would only be in captivity for 70 years and then they could go back home. What we learn in chapter 10 is that that crucial period, Daniel was praying, Lord, this is the time. And Daniel repented. And the angels come, Gabriel comes and says that a great warfare has taken place in the heavenlies. And Daniel's prayer was part of that warfare. And part of what I've been trying to teach you is that our battles are not just physical battles. They're not just this present world battles. There's a great transcendent spiritual battle taking place. Michael is the great warrior prince that defends the children of Israel. And what Daniel's revealed to us is that Daniel, God's servant, prayed. The Lord sent Gabriel to assure to assure Daniel that his prayers were answered and then gave him an incredible revelation that we're still learning from in our session this morning. Michael is identified as a unique warrior that protects God's people. In the Old Testament period, it meant that as the Medo-Persians debated, will we let the people go back? As Cyrus invaded Babylon and the warfare, would the Babylonians win in the battles or would the Medo-Persians? Michael's fighting to assure that the evil one's not able to keep God's chosen people in captivity. He's fighting tremendous forces of evil, the the demonic demons that are part of Satan's, his, his transcendent kingdom of darkness. I want you to understand that that's all part of the world that we live in. And Michael is the great prince who defends the chosen people of Israel. And I believe that what Daniel tells us is in the ultimate attack against the Jewish people. Right now, for example, the Jewish people are very secular. More than 90% of them aren't even committed to their Judaism. If you live in the Holy Land today, the average Israeli doesn't keep the Sabbath. Their idea of what it means to be a Jew is I speak Hebrew and I live in the land and I'm committed to defending Israel. That's my religion. Tremendous debates in Judaism about spirituality. There's a rabbi that's right in Jerusalem that's challenging Israelis. You need to have more than that, especially the American Jews. But even the Israelis, at least burn a candle on Friday night at 6 o'clock. At least do something to be spiritual. 
There's a great vacuum in Israel today. Daniel's predicting it'll be filled, but it'll be filled first by a great, powerful protector that won't be connecting them with the great I am. But halfway through, he'll turn against them. And in the darkest period, the book of Revelation tells us that there's going to be a mighty moving of the Spirit among God's Jewish people. And millions of them are going to come to know the Lord Jesus. There's like 14, 15 million Jews. God isn't finished. God doesn't leave stories unfinished. And he made a promise that Abraham's people would become a great nation, that they would possess a land. And that's why I believe the future of Israel is not done yet. I believe we're related to those promises. I feel we're partaking of those promises. But I believe that Daniel's predicting that at Israel's worst time, as another Hitler begins to grab them by the jugular vein, Michael, their prince, stands up. And he starts to fight for them. I want you to know that you have angelic forces. The book of Hebrews tells us that the angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to you. So your life today and the suffering you're going through and the time of hardship, you're not alone. Jesus lives in your heart. You have guardian angels that are taking care of you. And you moms and dads can, can be committing your kids, trusting that the Lord's going to take care of them. But we're in this tremendous conflict. That's what Daniel's describing. And that's what's happening. Michael, the great prince, who protects Daniel's people, your people, he will arise. That means he arrives to defend them. He arrives to defeat their enemies. There will be a time of distress that such as not happened from the beginning of the nation. I believe that the NIV should have translated here the beginning of the Israelite nation. It's singular. It's the beginning of the nation until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life will be delivered. The very first thing I want you to think about is this great time of tribulation is coming and in chapter 11 that the Lord uses these times of persecution to refine us, to purify us, and to cleanse us. The very first thing I want you to think about, are you facing a time of persecution today? Are you facing hard times? The question you want to ask yourself is, how am I responding to it? A lot of you have been taught if you come to Jesus, everything will be fine. You'll get the, all the jobs you want. You'll make a lot of money. The Bible says no. If you come to Jesus, you're going to be put in the fire. And, you're going to, and the reason you put silver or gold in the fire is you heat it so that the impurities will float to the top and you can skim them off. If any of you have ever, ever worked with metal and you're trying to purify it, you heat it and liquefy it and the impurities begin to separate, and you're able to, to get the dirt, to get the stuff that isn't gold, the stuff that isn't silver out. The Lord is doing that in your life today because he loves you. I've given you, I think we can use Gracie's testimony. She describes during the time that she was in captivity, she said this, one of the hardest things about our captivity was that I realized what kind of a person I was. How many of you thought, that you had everything together until hard times struck. And then you found out what Gracie found. Look what she said. She says, I thought I was really a good Christian, a pretty good Christian, and then I find myself feeling hatred and covetousness and all the things I didn't want to think existed in me. But God showed me I didn't have to beat myself over the head with all that. 
Some of you are beating yourself over the head because hard times have brought out the worst in you. Grace is saying, as she's in the jungle, in a terrible circumstance, hungry, cold, sick, she feels hatred for those that are persecuting her. She wants to get them. She finds she covets to want to have food. All that kind of stuff. Notice what she says. She says, but God showed me I didn't have to beat myself over the head with all that. Some of you are beating yourself over the head with the fact that you have an old nature, that you're wrestling with sin. You just need to acknowledge your sin, ask forgiveness, and go on. I love that. You just have to acknowledge your sin, ask forgiveness, and go on. If I had hit myself over the head with my sinfulness, I never would have gotten out of the depression I was in out there. I learned a lot about my sinfulness, but I also learned a lot about God's grace. That's what I covet for every one of you. As God begins to take you through hard times, as you go through experiences that don't add up, God is not trying to destroy you. He is refining you. Some of you this morning are allowing yourself to fall into the pit of despondency and depression because you feel like, what's the use? You know, I I thought I was such a good person, and look at what I am. And Gracie comes to you and says, hey, I went through probably more than you'll ever go through. And I learned I could just acknowledge my sin. I could let the Lord restore me to fellowship, and I could go on. And that's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to go on. I want you to go on. I want you to go on. But Gracie wrestled with a really tough thing. Her husband got killed. And she's a widow now that has to raise her kids by herself. Where's the justice in that? I can say, hey, that was fine. You know, you refined, you purified. But losing my husband to a terrorist stray bullet, where's the justice in that? The lack of resolution. All of you go to movies and you like the good guys to win in the end. And one of the things that Daniel goes on to tell us is that the Lord is writing a story that doesn't get fully resolved now. And you need to really understand that. I'm going to say that again. The biblical story doesn't ever promise you that the move of your life will get resolved now. Gracie's lost her husband. It was wrong. She lost her husband because soldiers took bribes. She, took so, she lost her husband because there was incompetency. She lost her husband because in this incredible crossfire, just a stray bullet hit her husband and killed him. Where's the justice in that? And those are really deep questions. How do you handle that? And what I want you to know is the failure for there to be resolution about the persecution that God's people face and the reality of evil and what evil people do demands that there be a resurrection. And I want all of you to understand that as a father of Jesus, your commitment and your long-range goal is resurrection. In other words, this isn't all there is. God's not going to answer all my questions now. I could face really tough tribulation times. In the ultimate tribulation, the book of Revelation speaks about God's children having their heads cut off and mothers losing their kids and Thousands of God's people losing their lives. Where's the justice in that? 
That's why I believe in the resurrection. Because life's injustice and the failure for God to end the story the way it should be ended demands that there be a resurrection. That's what Daniel tells us in the next verse. Look what he says. He says, there will be a time of distress that has never happened since the beginning of the nations, but at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. In other words, those that lost their lives, the many in this context specifically refers to those who lost their lives in the tribulation period. Many, multitudes sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. It's also referring to a period that will come at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ that Revelation talks about, where it says that God raises all those down through the centuries, everybody who has done wrong, everybody gets resurrected. Look what it says. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. What Daniel's describing, this is really important for you to understand. That in the end, everybody gets resurrected. To put it together quickly, I believe that all those that believe in Jesus during the church age, they're resurrected when the rapture takes place. All those that believe in Christ from the time of Pentecost until the coming of Jesus for his bride. That's called the bride of Christ and the Lord comes and takes them. That's the first resurrection. Then there's a resurrection at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus comes, totally destroys the Antichrist, and begins to set up his kingdom. God resurrects all of his Old Testament saints and all those that lost their lives during the tribulation period and those that made it through the tribulation faithful to him are entering into his kingdom. That's another resurrection. So we've got all of the people of God that are resurrected. Then we have a period of a thousand-year reign of Christ. At the end of that time period, all those that lost their life, that were in their human bodies during the millennium, they're resurrected. Then Revelation 20 tells us that there's a great white throne judgment, and that's when all the dead are brought. All those that rejected Jesus and lived the way they want to live Revelation pictures them as standing before the throne of God. And I've given you those verses. If you look at them in Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, it says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then Revelation 21, 27, it says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the land's book of life. What Daniel is telling us, and then Revelation completes the revelation, is that at the end of time, by the end of time, all of the good, all of the bad are resurrected. The good, those that trusted Jesus, those in Daniel's time that believed in Daniel's promise of the Messiah, those that accepted the life that God had for them, they're going to be raised again in the body. The picture here is anyone that's sleeping in death is going to be raised again. Notice he says, some will be raised to everlasting life. Others will be raised to everlasting shame. That's dishonor and abhorrence and everlasting contempt. And here's the idea. What God is saying is, if you're an Abu Sayyaf terrorist and you monkey with my children for more than a year and you starve them, 
and you subject them to hunger and to persecution and you eventually take their life. You're going to pay for it. There's going to be justice. Unless, unless you let my son at the cross of Calvary pay the bill. That's what the scripture is saying. In fact, 1 John tells us, who is the one that overcomes? John told us in 1 John 5, 5, who is the one that overcomes? Who is the one that's going to be sure that their name is written in the book of life? He says, isn't it the one that believes that Jesus is the son of God? So listen to me. What the scripture is saying is we live in this life that we've got incredible good news, that there's a place of justice called Mount Calvary where Jesus took the penalty for even terrorists and even us. And if you come to Mount Calvary and you admit that you're a sinner, if you admit that you deserve to die for your sins and that you should pay the eternal penalty, you stop saying, I can do it. Then Jesus says, I'll give you forgiveness. It's an incredible, wondrous, precious good news. In other words, what Gracie and her kids can know is she describes, as she was going through the jungle, she describes, one day especially, the terrorist, this great big thug, made her husband carry a bag of rice all day long. And Gracie was famished. And this terrorist made her husband carry the rice that could give his wife strength for a whole day. And Gracie leaned over and she said, I can hardly wait till God throws him in the lake of fire. And that's honest. I can hardly wait to this Musab, I think was his name, until you throw him into the fiery furnace. And Martin said, honey, do you know what it's like, what it's going to be like to be thrown away from the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever? Martin leaned over, and he was suffering just as much as Gracie. And he said, honey, we need to pray that they'll come to know the Savior. And that's the passion that I want you to have. I also want you to know that the terrorists that murdered Gracie's husband were captured when the Philippine soldiers attacked. And about a year later, Gracie was in court, and she identified six of the eight terrorists that were being tried as six of the guys that martyred her husband, that were their kidnappers. They put them in prison after they were sentenced. And in the Manila prison, they took it over, not just the terrorists that had Gracie and Martin, but they uh, more than over 20 guys took over the prison, controlled it for several hours. The Filipino soldiers retook the prison, and more than 20 Muslim terrorists were killed in an invasion. And it's very possible, Gracie doesn't know, the FBI was trying to verify it, but it's very possible that the six guys that she identified lost their life in the gunfire. Because... There is justice. I want you to understand as a born-again believer, our belief in the forgiveness of Calvary does not eliminate justice and that evil will be punished. 
And what Daniel is telling us today is that part of communicating the message of wisdom is that we communicate to people that if you're unjust and you're deceitful and you're lying and you live against the commands of God, there is going to be a resurrection day. You're not going to be reincarnated as a gnat. That's not going to be your punishment. You're not going to come back because you're such a good person as a rich multibillionaire. Hinduism doesn't have the revelation. And Hinduism doesn't lead to real justice because in, in a lot of you don't realize, but in Hinduism, you're not, the idea is not to be reincarnated. The idea is to escape the circle and to be able to enter some blessed state after you've gone through all this recycling. Where's the justice in that? It's just a very false attempt. It doesn't have to do with standing before an all-wise, all-knowing judge and having him discern everything about you, and he makes things right. What Daniel's telling us, he closes by saying, those who are wise are going to turn many to righteousness, and they're going to shine like this firmament. Like when you go out at night, and you look at all those beautiful stars, Daniel's saying, if you've trusted the Messiah, even if you lose your life like Martin, there's going to be a resurrection day. Martin's home with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But our great hope is one day Martin will stand before his father in heaven, and he's going to shine like the stars forever and ever. And if some of the terrorists listened to what Martin and Gracie tried to tell them about the love of Jesus, then what the Lord is saying is their sin will be covered by the blood, just like Martin tried to teach Gracie in their times of captivity. But if they don't turn to that message that gives new life, then Martin is going to know that his justice was dealt with, that evil was vanquished that his father in heaven defended his children. That's the balance of what Daniel's teaching us. He teaches us that there is a great tribulation. Our tribulations are not nearly as great as that, but we can learn from what Daniel teaches about what God was doing in refining and purifying and cleansing. So I ask myself today, will I let the Lord refine me in my time of trial? Second of all, I ask myself, will I commit these questions of unfairness and these questions of injustice, will I commit them to the ultimate great resurrection when God will make everything right, the battle be dealt with, and those that are good through the incredible gift of life that Jesus has given are going to shine forever and ever. And the final thing that I'm really challenged about is when Martin tells Gracie, Gracie, you don't want even your captors to be cast into hell, do you? This is our time of grace. And so as I read a recent interview, let me just read what Gracie said about what she's teaching her kids. At the very end, she says she remembers the lesson the Lord taught her in the jungle from Martin about Musa. That's the guy that she wanted to send to hell. She said, listen to her recent response to the reporter. Listen, I have more of a burden for my neighbors. And that's my prayer, that we would have more of a burden if Gracie has more of a burden for her neighbors after losing Martin in the jungles, then how much more do I want to have a burden for my neighbors? 
I have more of an urgency for those who don't know the Lord to come to a saving knowledge of him. These are days of grace, and people must turn to the Lord for salvation. Daniel tells us that the days of grace come to an end, and God deals with justice. But now is the time for us to get the message. I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in our church family. One of the things that I'm really burdened about is as a Bible church, we're really strong. We know what Daniel 12, 1 through 4 says. But are we passionate as we leave here about touching those in our family, making sure every one of them have entered in to the promise of Jesus? Are we carefully explaining this incredible good news that we possess? And my prayer as we close is that Daniel, who's already in heaven, looks at Midlothian Bible Church, he would be saying, hey, those are people that are understanding that if you turn many people to righteousness, you turn many people to accept Jesus, that that's wisdom, that that's really skillful living. So let's just pray that the Lord will help us to respond in our trials, not with bitterness, not with despondency, but trusting the refining hand of our Father that will give us an incredible passion to turn many to righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, only your Holy Spirit can cause us to be burdened like Gracie and Martin were to take the gospel, even to those that are persecuting them. I pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters would hear this incredible comfort that you're going to bring about justice for them. But I pray that it would also give us an incredible joy that we can bring this message of life and we can help our friends and acquaintances and our schoolmates, people that we work with, people on our block, we can bring them this incredible news about Daniel's Messiah before they face the great white throne judgment. Lord, I pray that we'll live in light of this incredible hope that we have a resurrection destiny and nothing will ever separate us from your love. And Lord, we just want to just join hands with as many friends and bring them into the kingdom with us. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.